I'm Victoria, and this podcast is all about running, marathon training, and run coaching. It is packed with useful tips to help you grow as a runner. I am a 13-time Boston qualifier and mom of two who started running as an adult. I learned a lot on my journey, and in 2014, I launched an online run coaching business to help other runners. Now, we employ several run coaches and are one of the largest online run coaching companies. We teach you the secrets to reaching your potential in the sport of running. We give real talk discussing personal stories of injuries, setbacks, and PRs. Think of this as a conversation with serial marathoners who share the lessons that we learned along the way. This is the Run for PRs podcast. Today, we are talking all about negative splits and how you can really reach your potential in the sport of distance running when you negative split. So a lot of people, when they first hear the word negative split, they're thinking, oh, that's negative. It's bad because it has that connotation because the word negative, sometimes we associate with being bad, but actually in the sport of running, negative splitting is a really good thing. And so what negative splits are, I'm sure a lot of people listening do know what it is already, but it's where you run the second half of your run or race faster than the first half. So the idea is that you're speeding up and getting stronger as the race and as the run get longer, right? So we want to feel strong at the end of our races and our runs. And what's really, really common in the sport of distance running is people will positive split. And so that's going to be the opposite of negative splitting. Positive splitting is where you go out a little fast or you feel good. So you speed up a little faster than maybe you were planning on. And then towards the end of your run or your race, you start to kind of slow down and just get fatigued. Um, Sometimes this can be really drastic, right? So in a marathon, for example, if you're going out really hard, maybe on pace and like you PR in the half marathon when you get to the 13.1 mile mark, your second half of that marathon might end up being one, two, or three minutes per mile slower than what you did for the first half. And I know I've seen people where they go out the first half of a marathon in like 130 or 135, and then they end up running almost five hours for the marathon. And so if you're doing the math, that's like running an hour slower the second half at least, um, which, which can be really hard on the ego, your confidence, and then it's also just really painful. So sometimes people are like, you know, what is inherently wrong with positive splits? And really there's nothing like wrong with positive splitting, but what happens sometimes when athletes positive split and they do it more in like a drastic manner is that it does lead to some you know, lack of confidence. It can lead to just like a poor race experience. Like if you're going out in a marathon and you think you're on pace for, you know, like a 330 Mm -hmm. and then you bonk and you end up running close to five hours and that can be a really tough second half of the race and it can really be 
um, tough as an athlete to be in that situation. And so the reason we're talking about negative splits is because if you pace appropriately, you're actually going to be more likely to achieve your potential for your pace goal. So for that 330 example, maybe if the athlete would have gone out on pace for like a 350, they would be able to hold on and actually run closer to like a 350 instead of blowing up as we would call it in the running world and and running like a five hour marathon. So Jason, talk to me a little bit about negative splits. Have you always been someone that likes a negative split or was that kind of something you had to learn? Yeah, I guess you know, dating back to like high school and college, um, when we would do workouts, I always try to make the effort um, when running like intervals or whatever it was to to run the last few the fastest and specifically the last one the fastest. And I think that just got, you know, my mindset always focused on saving something in the tank for the end. Um, so if we're doing 1K repeats, let's say we're doing four of them, make sure the last one's the fastest. If we're doing 10 by 400, you know, the last one is kind of when you open things up a bit and you run maybe two, three seconds faster than the rest of them per mile. So it's just, um, yeah, I think that for me, it, it was a little bit easier to learn this concept because I had so much experience with doing workouts with like a team and having a coach mm-hmm. in person to kind of help uh, me process and walk me through the workout. I think it's a little more challenging for adults, mm-hmm. adult runners that maybe get into running um, a little bit later in life. They don't have that racing experience or specifically the workout experiences with you know, with uh, training with a team. And so for them, I think they rely a lot on like listening to your body, your effort, and then looking at your data through the Garmin or whatever metrics that you have. If you run with an Apple watch or whatever, um, you can look at your splits and kind of learn that way and then make adjustments for the future. Right. Yeah. And just like with the track and field cross country background and having a coach kind of in person, I know just from witnessing you coach at a college level, a lot of the times it's like if you're in an indoor track, you're getting feedback from your coach or from your watch every minute, you know, Mm -hmm. basically every time you go around for a workout, which sometimes is like every 45 seconds, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And if your coach is kind of telling you, yeah, you're on pace or no, you're not, you're getting that feedback and you're able to learn pacing that way. And so adult runners, like you said, they don't really have that um, that feedback loop. So if you started running outside of that environment, it might be hard to like learn how to pace. And doing that whole process yourself can take a number of years to really perfect. And like you said, using the Garmin can definitely be helpful. And I know sometimes like the GPS can be a little wonky, right? So I will do workouts sometimes. And if I have it on just the main GPS screen, it will tell me an inaccurate pace. And I know that can be really frustrating for a lot of runners. And so one thing I like to do is set one of my screens so you can see just the lap pace for whatever lap you're on. And then if you're within a workout, you're able to just see, okay, for this lap, what pace am I averaging? Like what if I end the mile here, like if I, if I hit one mile, what would be my average pace for this whole interval section? And so that can be a little bit more accurate and telling you like what your pace has been for a workout portion of, um, your workout but it's it can still be a challenge to like learn how to pace yourself especially if you're running outside where there's hills um and then that brings up the whole question of 
if you're trying to negative split, like if you're running a course like Boston or New York, it can become difficult to try to negative split um, like on paper, right? So the Boston Marathon is notorious for downhill the first half pretty much. And then the second half of the race, there are those hills like Heartbreak Hill. And so that course, if you look at the elevation profile, it it's a harder second half. So if you're having a harder second half with more hills, it's going to be really tough to negative split that course. So talk to me a little bit about how you would pace maybe off of effort and take into account hills when you're coming up with a pacing plan and you want to try to run negative splits. Yeah, it's a really good point, right? And so I think for most runners, it's easy to kind of get the experience if you're training, uh, doing intervals like on a flat area first, because then you have a consistent mm-hmm. um, kind of loop. Or if you're on the track, that's even better, right? Because you know exactly how far the meters are. And so um, depending on what the workout is, you first kind of set your pace, um, you know, expectations that you want to target. And then um, you break it down and learn what is like the 200 meter split or the 400 meter split so that you can do a check in during each interval. And then you can see if you're on pace and then make that adjustment if needed. And then the goal is to kind of get consistent throughout the workout and run fairly similar splits for each interval rep. And so, you know, by practicing this way, hopefully you get a sense of like, where was my effort throughout the, this workout? Um, and did I have enough, you know, did I save enough for the end to be able to run maybe the last one a little bit faster? And so then you translate this over to maybe um, a different type of course or terrain. Maybe you're doing a grassy loop or something like that that's kind of hilly. And you can start to adjust and um, or start to learn how to uh, just run more off a of feel and effort and rely less on the watch. So I think for mm-hmm. me, doing these races, you know, I did a lot of like one mile races in high school and, and then even getting to college. The mile indoors was a perfect example because it's eight laps. And so it's just so it was so easy to like do those check ins like every 200 meters and then make the adjustments as needed. And then also when you make those adjustments, you're thinking about how, how you feel, right? And so you're constantly relating, you know, the split to your feeling and your effort. And so eventually you can kind of go off the field and not even look at the watch. Mm-hmm. And I think it translates well into racing because then you are more likely to go out uh, conservative when you're running like a 5K or whatever out on the road. And you can just kind of run off a of feel and know sort of how you're supposed to, um, you know, save, conserve that energy. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I do think there is like a whole process to it. So right now, some more to like ask how, how do you pace the Boston Marathon? Or how do you like pace these races? A lot of it's like, well, personally, it's like I just go off of effort. But that's not really like helpful, right? When it comes to other people who are trying to like learn the skill, right? You have to learn how to run based off effort. And I think that starts with doing workouts in a really, really controlled environment. And one of the most controlled environment, I know a lot of people don't like this, but it's a treadmill, right? Um, and that can be a great starting point for some people. Um, it could be a place where you're comfortable, where you can get to know what different paces feel like. So maybe it's just doing some strides kind of at, at your threshold pace, um, at the end of an easy run. One way that I think the treadmill can be a really useful tool is for easy runs because it allows you to set the pace to your appropriate easy run and not really think about it. And so it can train your body how to run at the appropriate pace um, just on an easy day because a lot of times we do like to get those workouts outside so that we do have the experience pacing at those race paces and a little faster. Um, But I think the treadmill can be a great tool for establishing that easy pace. And this all kind of comes back to 
pacing, right? We're talking about negative splits, figuring out how to pace. One of my favorite workouts to prescribe to athletes is doing a progression run. So we can start off with like a five mile run and the goal is to start at an easy pace and get faster every single mile. So that's pretty much the only role. Like try to have every mile faster than than the last and that includes hills, right? So if you know your route has like specific hills, maybe planning, okay, what pace do I need to start at so that I can run fast up this hill? And so I think that's a really good workout for athletes, but one thing you wanna be aware of is maybe the first time you do this is you have to start at a slow enough pace where you're gonna be able to pick it up every single mile. And so it might really surprise you that the pace you need to start off at is slower than what you're used to running. So you do have to kind of lean into that easy running pace and it all kind of kind of comes back to pacing. And we talk a lot about running the appropriate easy pace. And I think that's kind of phase one here is if you can have the self-discipline and the control to dial it back, really hold back and go like three minutes per mile slower than your 5K pace, that really sets you up for success in pacing workouts because you're training your body I know this isn't the pace that I want to be running today, but I need to stay within this pace range and really be honest with yourself. And that can be the best place for you to practice your pacing. Yeah. I think the more you vary your paces throughout your training, you know, not only are you getting experience with how to control the pace, but you're learning, um, you know, you're associating that pace with the feeling, right? So kind of using the RPE scale. And I, I just use that a lot when I'm out running. I always think about like, you know, where am I at here out of 10? How would I rate this this pace or this effort? Um, and so for those races that are more challenging, like you're talking like Boston, if you're running a, a longer race where you're kind of unfamiliar with, um, you don't know what to expect necessarily with like the hills and stuff. It's, I think it's important to break the, rather than focus so much on your pace and like mile mm-hmm. by mile, this is where I should be. It's important to break the race down into like, zones or sections of the race and like think about how you want to feel during each section so yeah the beginning of boston is kind of downhill right so you can get sucked out way too fast and run really fast and chances are your first mile or two are actually going to be maybe some of your faster miles um throughout the marathon so it's important not to always worry so much about the splits and so i always kind of give my athletes sort of um things to focus on during each zone and so you can train this way so that way when it comes to racing you can kind of apply the same mindset um, principle. So like early on, um, you know, miles one through three in a marathon is just basically just getting out, settling in. You know, you're going to keep the effort pretty much like a six, maybe a seven at the most. And then you're going to kind of set, you're going to zone out and shut your mind off for like the next like seven miles. So um, that's kind of like how I approach it. And then each, every couple miles, you kind of move into a new zone and then you're increasing like the effort, um, you know, like the RPE as you get closer to the end of the race. And by doing that, you're setting yourself up for hopefully a negative split. Yeah, definitely. And for those courses that are really hilly, I think it becomes really important to be in tune with how marathon pace feels. And so one of the best ways you can do that is running your appropriate easy pace on easy days. And then when you have marathon pace workout, doing it more based off effort. So every time you're in a marathon pace workout, Um, or your coach gives you a steady state workout, which is right around marathon pace, you want to be envisioning how you would feel and what sort of effort you would be giving at mile like 18 of a marathon. Um, Is it sustainable? Can you do this for 26.2 miles? These are all questions you want to be like really focusing on. And so you really want to be in tune with yourself during these workouts. And that's the biggest game changer, right? Instead of trying to like hit some arbitrary pace that's been 
written down on your training plan and like hyper focusing on that, it's almost better to focus on how is my body feeling? Um, is this a little bit too fast? Like where is the sweet zone and not really paying too much attention to your watch. Um, and then at the end of your workout, you can kind of see where did the pace fall when I asked myself these questions, when I asked what can I, can I maintain this pace for like 20 miles, 26.2 miles? How do I want to feel running this pace? Is this pace smooth? How is my breathing? How do I feel? And when you're really tuning into how you feel when you are running and then you just check the paces later, like on your garment or whatever, it can give you a real honest look into like what your pacing maybe would look like on race day. And it also allows you a chance to start to tune into your body and to realize what these efforts feel like because so often I think we have a training plan we're like super hyper focused on like hitting our specific pace Mm -hmm. and then when we do a race maybe like Boston or CIM or something that has a lot of hills it can be really hard to like trust ourselves to go the right pace and we can feel lost on the course when there's a mega downhill or a super uphill and our paces are off by, you know, like a minute per mile. Like for example, I was just looking at my Boston splits from this last year where I pretty much even split. Um, my fastest mile was mile 22 at like a 641. And then my slowest mile was literally the mile before that it was 749. And so that's about a 70 second difference just between one mile. And one of them is directly uphill, heartbreak hill, and the other one's coming down the backside. And so I, what I do when I'm pacing like this is I just turn off auto lap because I don't want to have my garment chirping at me telling me, hey, you slowed down this mile or you sped up this mile because to me that can kind of get in my head. Um, I'd rather just kind of focus on like how I'm feeling personally. Um, it's just a personal preference. And some people really thrive off of that. If you train that way and then you race that way, it can just be a way <clears throat> that you kind of tune into how you're feeling. Cause I know sometimes people will go on like findmymarathon.com and they get those pacing bands that say like where you should be every single mile. And while it's pretty, like pretty accurate, I'm sure if I pulled one up right now and plugged in like my 311 time, it would probably throw out similar paces to what I ran every mile, but it doesn't really account for like everything that's going on like in your personal body, right? So maybe I'm not super great at running uphill, so I'm going a little bit slower, but maybe I'm really good at downhill and I go Mm -hmm. a little bit faster. And so you have to keep in mind that your pacing is going to look different from person to person. And that's why we kind of recommend pacing yourself and not necessarily using like a pacer on race day um, for the whole race because you have to be in tune with your body and I think doing that on your own is optimal. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you said a lot of good things and I was thinking about someone, you know, who maybe that is training for Boston or like a longer race um, and using um, their workout. So let's say they're doing mile repeats and, you know, they're supposed to hit them at 645 or whatever. And so they go to the track, right? And they do them all Mm. and they're all within three, four seconds, right? Well, it's pretty easy to get them all within that three to four second range if you're in a controlled environment. Um, let's say a week or two later, you go and you try the same workout mm-hmm. and more of like, just like the flatter road area. Right. And so then you might find, okay, yeah, I'm a little bit, I have like a wider range from my fastest to my slowest one. Maybe it's like six or seven seconds. Right. Yep. Um, and then a couple weeks later you do the same thing on a rolling Hills and then you find out, oh, I'm like 15 to 18 seconds mm-hmm. from my fastest to my slowest. And maybe you're running those at like seven Oh five. Well, that doesn't mean that you were, um, 
you didn't get as good of a workout in, you know what I mean, as the day you ran the 645 on the track. In fact, I would argue that the, the rolling hill repeats are going to benefit you more. And so I think we get too caught up in mm-hmm. like that. What are the actual splits instead of like what was the effect of the workout and how will this impact me going forward? Right. I think that's a really good point. Like in the age of Strava and Garmin, we can kind of become obsessed with like our paces and knowing that people are going to see it can be like a whole subconscious phenomenon, right? I know doing workouts on flat train can be beneficial for a lot of reasons, right? So at the beginning we said it can be really good if you're just starting out workouts and you're trying to like learn how to pace yourself. It can be really good if you're training for like a flat race or you're trying to get some like really raw speed going like on the track. Um, It can also be great if you have like calf issues, right? We don't want to do too much on hills because that can be really strenuous on your calf. But a lot of races do take place um, on some, some hills, right? So it can be good to kind of veer off of the track once you feel like you at least have a gen general feel for what sort of pacing should feel like move off the track and just do it on like a flatter road Um, because even on a flat road you're gonna get some twists and turns you're gonna get a little bit of incline and decline um, and you're gonna notice that like not every single one can maybe come out exactly the same From there, then once you feel comfortable there, I think, you know, doing it on something that has a little bit more incline or decline. So doing something on a little bit more rolling hills and let yourself see like where the paces fall, right? So doing them more based off of effort. So you've done these workouts multiple times on the track or on flat road, you know what the effort should feel like. So let yourself do the same workout where there's rolling hills or on a downhill, on an uphill, and just see where the paces fall. And you might surprise yourself and only look at that data once the workout is done. And that can be something that's really beneficial going into some of these hillier races or if you're training for a hilly race this fall. Yeah, and if you're doing like just a straight tempo run, you know, you don't have to be, you don't always have to try to negative split that. If you're running on rolling, you know, terrain, you might just kind of keep the pace um, maybe within like a 20 or 30 second range and depending on the elevation for each mile, you know, they might look a little different. And so, uh, I think as long as you can keep that controlled the whole time, like your effort, keep the effort, uh, about the same, that's really the goal. And so through your training, you know, there's different ways to practice this. You mentioned earlier, the progression run where you're being mm-hmm. really mindful about picking up the pace each mile and that's a good way. And then also there's kind of the even split route where you're just trying to run the same, you know, set of intervals, for, uh, at the same pace. Um, and then I think, I think it's important to race this way too. So finding mm. some local, like shorter races and just get used to, uh, running like progressive or sorry, negative splits and, um, you know, progressing the effort as you go. I think that's a good way to, uh, learn how to do this. And it's going to translate over into like longer races once you, um, get more experience. Right. And I think that was really good when you said, try some races right hop into some races and I know there's like a saying in the running community that like not every race is going to be a PR and that is for sure right so you sometimes need to do races just for that experience of being in that racing environment and practicing that self-control so you might sign up for you know 5k and your goal is not necessarily to PR it's just to like start slower finish faster in a race environment because if you have a history of maybe not negative splitting or you really struggle with this so some signs that you may 
be someone who struggles with this. I'm someone that used to struggle with this, so I definitely have been there. Um, signs you might struggle with this is like your first mile is always faster than your last mile. You plan to go into the race and practice that self-control, but you always kind of end up slowing down at the end. Um, you maybe have thought that like negative splits just don't work for you physiologically. Uh, you have ran races where you didn't hit, you know, anywhere near your time goal or your time goal at all because you slowed down at the end. Um, you've tried to go slow in the beginning, but you feel like you can't. Like all of these things are very common for runners. And I think it's like something like only 10% of marathon finishers at like the Twin Cities Marathon one year um, ran a negative split. So that means like 90% of people um, at this specific marathon where it is hilly at the mm-hmm. end are doing positive splits. And so it's, it's super common. And one of the best things you can do is try to like get out of that habit. Because when I was stuck doing this, um, back, you know, six, seven years ago now, I started running slower times and it was really frustrating. Cause like I knew I had the potential to be faster, but it's like, I just, all my time started getting slower. I lost a lot of confidence. Um, the times that I thought I could run based on my training just weren't happening on race day and you kind of lose trust in yourself and in the process. And so it can be like this hard thing to kind of get out of. But once you do practice these things, like you said, signing up for a race and having yourself just have the challenge of being in a race environment and practicing the self-control and not even worrying about your time. You don't have to like share this with anyone. You don't have to put on Strava. I mean, you could like rip the chip off your bib, right? If you're really that embarrassed of uh, doing this. But I think being in that race environment where the adrenaline is pumping, you know, the gun's going off, there's people around you. I think it's not often talked about in the running community, but races can really like get you going. So talk a little bit about the factors that kind of come into play. Cause I know at a lot of local races we've done, people will go out super hot, like at these five K's. Right. And, um, that can be tough, like (laughs) in the beginning to hold back. So what are some of the things that you tell yourself or how do you practice that patience? Yeah, it's a really good, good question. I think, um, you know, you have to look at each race as its own individual race and try not to compare it to previous uh, races. You know, you're going to look at the course elevation profile, uh, maybe like the, the spectators, like where they align on the course, because all of these things can really affect whether or not you're going to, you know, mm-hmm. run faster in certain parts of the course. And um, I guess for me, I've just always learned to kind of just uh, not allow the outside factors affect what I'm going to do. So like, yeah, there's been times where, you know, I think back to like a 5k in July every year that we used to have here and um, it was super competitive, right? And and there's a lot of like high schoolers that show up and like, it's just a 5k. So a lot of people go out way too Mm -hmm. fast because the first mile is aligned with uh, people align the streets because there's a parade after. And so um, I think people just want to like run fast because they're, you know, a lot of people are watching it. And so that's one where I've just let people go and then I end up like passing a ton of people the next two miles. And so it's kind of a fun challenge to see like how many people can I pass. And so that's maybe one way to, you know, practice that self-control. Um, other ways would just be, yeah, just have a challenge in mind that I really want to focus on for that day and then just um, commit to it. Yeah. One of the things can be starting in the appropriate area too. So at Boston the last year that I did it, um, it was like that rolling start. So you could just start at like any given time. There was no like mass start. So you weren't necessarily lined up with anyone who was even like remotely close to your pace. You just started. 
Um, so just starting the race like that, there were so many people mm-hmm. that just like blew by me. Cause like, I mean, it's Boston, right? right? Like there's these super elite people that are like going after it. And there was a few times where I'm like, am I really running this slow? You know, like I'm going like 7.15 pace and people were like blowing by me. And so you really have to like practice that self-control of like they're running their race, I'm running mine. Do I feel good? Do I feel in control? And just really black that out. And it can be especially hard when there's like the crowds, like you were saying. So at the beginning Mm -hmm. of Boston, there's a lot of people cheering. um, And there's kind of that whole factor of okay they're cheering like I want to speed up or like it's giving me this rush of adrenaline but you definitely do not want to be like riding adrenaline at all like the first (laughs) half of a marathon you want to be like almost out for like a leisurely jog really in control sort of thing um not a leisurely jog but you know what I mean you don't want to be like you don't want to feel like you're all out racing Mm -hmm. um and like riding off the crowds and stuff you want to feel really in control especially the beginning miles Um, And I like what you said, and picking the right spot, even like in your local 5K, right? It's really important to line up where you think people would be running around your pace. And for me, I think it's always better for myself personally to be lined up a little bit behind where I think that I would normally be because I know I have the tendency to go out a little hard. Um, It just seems that that's the case, even if I say, okay, I'm going to go out slow. It's like the first 200, 400 meters of a 5k. If you ever look down at your shirt garment, it's going to say you're going pretty quick. So I always start a little bit further back just for that reason. And so this can be a whole practice, right? You sign up for a race, you go there, you line up a little bit further back than what you normally do. You start a little slower than you normally do. And you try to just execute negative splits. And the first time you do this, you just, you might not do it, right? You might just see an improvement by, okay, I didn't slow down a minute per mile every mile. You might be more even, right? Even running even splits or five seconds off each mile, that's that's pretty good, right? right? Um, where it can be tough is when you're slowing down like a minute per mile within like a 5K race. Um, and I've been there, right? There was a race <laughs> I went out pretty hard and I ended up running like slower than my marathon pace the last mile. And this is like at a 5K. And I just remember being blown by so many people and it was so painful. And the reason that it's painful is in a 5K, like you're working, you have, it's part anaerobic and you want that anaerobic to kind of be at the end, right? Mm -hmm. Um, What I did was I made it anaerobic at the beginning, right? So I was like basically close to a mile PR um, and then you have to go and try to run two more miles. And it was just, it was just hard. Um, And I think that can, that happens to a lot of, runners right. and they don't really know necessarily what what went wrong yeah you know and i think you learn too to make like the adjustments that you need to during your ra- workouts and then in your races i've done you know i did grandma's half a few times um it's where i had my pr and i know a lot of times i'd expect there to be like a pack of runners to gauge off of mm-hmm. early on and but one year it seemed like the the front pack went way way, oh, way too fast right yep. and so i just kind of made the decision to stay back and yeah, we ended up coming through about 10 seconds per mile slower than I wanted to. But I think that that set me up better for success at the end because I was able to have a massive negative split later on. And so I think that it's okay to, you know, adjust your goals slightly based on, you know, the weather or the course or just the way things maybe are playing out. And you don't always have to like just be so um, committed to the, the the pace that you have in your mind. You know what I mean? Like it's okay to, I've ran 5Ks before too where I have in my mind I want to go out in like 510 and end up going out in, I don't know, 518, or I come through a 505. And so it's like, you just have to 
no matter what that first split is, you it doesn't really matter. What matters is like how you feel about it and how you're going to feel the second mile and make sure that you're, you know, conserving that energy and saving, saving it for when it matters, which is at the end. Right. And I think that's so important, especially when you're in a racing environment and there's people around you to like gauge off of. And I know even with us, it's like, we have friends in the running community that maybe run similar times to us. Like we know them. Um, and just historically there were, two people that would like always pass me like the second half of a race like always because like I would go out too hard this was back you know six seven years ago and I used to have a little bit you know it's not like I would do massive positive splits at every race but I would do pretty much a little bit of positive splits mm-hmm. and they were always negative splitting and they would always beat me by a couple seconds um but specifically there was like a half where I came up on one of them and I was like oh wow like maybe I'm gonna be the person that um, passes them, and it was like mile eight. But then I had this voice in my head, and I was like, "No, Victoria, you need to actually like just stay right behind her. Just stay there. Don't, don't do it. Like you're only at mile eight, and it can be really tempting when you're at mile eight of a half because you're feeling good. And if you're at mile eight, you're like, "Hey, I got this. Like I got this in the bag. Like it's gonna be a good day." Um, so like I passed her. I probably shouldn't have because there she was, mile eleven, cheering me to come on, come on, run with me, right. and then goodbye like you know I couldn't uh, keep up and she ended up running probably about like a minute faster than me um but moral of the story is it's like listen to the cautious voice in your head I think during a race because sometimes there can be like those two voices right the one voice that's like yeah yeah just go for it like you can do it and then there's that voice that's like the voice of reason like okay you've been in this situation before how did it play out in the past what is the wise thing to do and then you know the crazy voice is like yeah, but just pass them. Like, you feel really good today. Like, today's going to be different. And then it's it's not, right? So just try to be a little bit cautious is kind of my yeah. rule of thumb. And it, I mean, it took me a very long time to learn that. But I think with racing experience and with experience even running with other people, like at a run club, I think that can really help because a lot of the times it's like you go to this race environment and it's very new. So if you're like a solo runner like I was, like all of a sudden you have like all this jacked up energy because you're like around people your adrenaline's pumping um and it's just a very different environment and so that's why i think racing experience is huge yeah it definitely is and i think there are times where i think in order to grow as a runner we need to sort of take those risks and kind of right maybe go a little bit faster than we had planned or whatever because i think that's how we kind of learn to be more controlled the next time but there's there's that line to of like doing something that's overly foolish versus just a little bit risky so kind of knowing where your fitness is at and making sure that you're not running way too fast you know i've seen people that start marathons way faster than they should and it ends up being a really rough day or they dnf and so it's i think it's important to um you know start to take those risks in shorter events first don't just go up to the marathon and then take it there you know you got to learn how your body's going to react to it and then mentally how you're going to overcome it and what you're going to learn from it so Right. And it's always a learning experience. So sometimes we'll do posts on this on social media and people will be like, genuinely low, like what's wrong with positive splits? And inherently, like there's really, there's nothing wrong with positive splitting, right? Like people positive split all the time. There's nothing wrong with it. But the thing that ends up happening, at least what happened to me is like, I got so frustrated that like I was constantly running positive splits. I'm like, what, like, what am I doing wrong? Like you just get mad, right? And I can, so my, my PR in the half is 113. I've ran it four times. We've, oh. counted, we've looked up the results. And so 
I know for a fact I negative split like two of them, but I think the other two I positive split. Mm. And just thinking about each time I ran it, I know I felt better finishing the years I ran a negative split. Right. So part of that was just, um, you know, I, I wasn't like struggling towards the end. I wasn't like in survival mode. I was in more like, I'm going to crush it mode. I'm going to finish hard mode. And I'd rather finish a race feeling that way, feeling proud of the effort instead of just like barely surviving. Right. And then yep. I feel like the recovery is a little bit easier too. Um, if I finish feeling good versus if I finish, you know, with my legs feeling like crap. So, um, yeah, I know the the marathon PR I have, I did negative split by four minutes. I think my 5k PR is a pretty like even split race, but even my one mile is a negative split. And so a lot of times in the shorter races, you know, you do see a slightly positive split, but for the most part, it's, it's pretty even within a second or two, you know, per quarter mile. So. Right. It really helps you like actually run to your potential, right? So if you are in amazing shape and you tow the line of a marathon and like, you know, you're in the best shape of your entire life and you end up like screwing up the pacing by like going out a little bit too fast, Mm -hmm. it can just like below your whole race. And so maybe you were in shape to run like a three, three, whatever marathon. And then you end up running way slower just because you went out a little bit too hard you got a little bit greedy and I've definitely been there right and there's like that piece of regret um of like man if I if I would have just been a little bit more in control um yeah and I had a marathon PR back in like 20 2015 I ran like a 314 marathon and I did get a little greedy kind of around mile like 10 to 16 um and I I sped up a little bit prematurely and so after that race I I knew like I was capable of running so much faster that day if I would have just like paced it appropriately like a 310 um and it's like I ended up you know getting pregnant after that and there's just so many things that end up happening so you just sit there and you live with that because mm-hmm. um you only get so many chances to run a marathon right within a calendar year and once you kind of build that fitness it's like you know it's only good for the time being that one race really and obviously fitness builds on each other but if you do have like a setback um like an injury or you know you end up having a baby or you take some time off from running it can be hard to kind of get back into that shape so when you do toe the line on race day obviously one of the things that you can control is your pacing and so it would be really great if everyone could just pace like to their best potential and Um, be able to execute and feel strong at the finish but I think that's one of the hardest parts about distance running is like figuring how to pace and part of that is maybe having some of those experiences where you do end up positive splitting and kind of just getting like so frustrated to the point where you're like okay I'm willing to try Mm -hmm. something new maybe yeah exactly I think that's really well said and you know through through the years of racing I've had my fair share of positive split races and I think that um those moments of reflecting are what, you know, make me now approach every race with the mindset of, oh, I'm going to run like a negative split or at least a, a negative or, a, um, you know, a positive uh, progression of effort. You know what I mean? Yes. So I'm going to make sure I start out slow. I don't really care what the pace is, but I'm going to pick it up. Um, and then, you know, so now it's more of like a game for me. Like how, you know, how much can I pick up the pace? That's how I approach races. And um, yeah, it's just, it's more fun. It's more enjoyable and it keeps me more mentally engaged for longer you know during the race and i Mm -hmm. think that that's really key especially the longer the event because you don't want to be you know you don't want to be slowing down at the halfway point of your marathon you know you don't want to be checking out or just 
you know. And so. that's that's usually the point where people do start slowing down. So I've done, you know, 21 marathons, and it's usually around mile 13, 14. That's where I see the first person walking. Um, and so it really does happen to everyone, right? Like, even people who are out there trying to run, like, the low threes or, like, a sub three. Like, I see people walk all the time every marathon I do. Um, but... I do think, you know, I've, I've been there, right? Like I've gone out like hard. I remember I texted you during one of my marathons right after mm-hmm. I ran that 314. I was like trying to get another marathon where I was like, no, I, I know I can run faster. And so like I just, you know, again, got greedy. And so it's obviously a hard lesson to learn, but I, I texted you at like mile mile 10 or 11 and I was like, I'm dropping out. And I didn't drop out. I just humbly like jogged my way to the finish, mm-hmm. but it was my worst ever um, like pacing of a marathon. And it really like taught me to not ever do that again. It was like this horrible lesson that I had to learn. Um, and you just, you feel so much worse when you go out hard, like your ego, your confidence, and also your legs. So <laughs> I'd say like after the race, yeah. right? Like obviously during the race, I slowed down by like two, three minutes per mile. Um, I still ended up running like 326, but I was like trying to run like basically like 305. It was just ridiculous. Um, I went out way too hard. So after the race, I was so sore for like so long because what ends up happening is like you just dip. You kind of like are in this anaerobic. You hit your threshold. You're just like your legs are toast. And then you have to keep running on that for another (laughs) two hours. And so it was just brutal. And then the soreness lingered for so much longer. Whereas I've had marathons where I run negative split and I run a PR um, and I feel pretty good, right? After it's not like... I have as much soreness. So sometimes when you do those crash and burn races, you can actually be more sore and it can leave you not only with that extra soreness, but with that, that bruised ego, which definitely that's a, that's a tough one, (laughs) but I've definitely been there and I guess I'm living proof that you can kind of come back from, from those situations. Cause my last two marathons were, um, well, two marathons ago was a negative split and more recently mm-hmm. it was like basically at boston it was like an even split 30 second positive split but it's definitely a far cry from a 20 minute positive split so you can make changes and i think the biggest tip would just be starting out a lot slower and then you think you should and really sticking to the pacing plan so if you toe the line on race day and you're like okay my goal is x don't don't really like throw that out the window or don't try to like get greedy by rounding up to like the next whole number or something right because right? that's really common too like you might be mm-hmm. you might be someone who's like yeah you know like 830 pace feels real good um but then you're like oh but like 335 sounds like a cooler number and so you just you're just right. axing off like so much um like 18 seconds per mile is a big deal. So don't Mm -hmm. try to just like round up to, you know, something that maybe is slightly outside of where your current fitness is because it could compromise maybe like your end result. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's why it's good to, um, you know, do, do races of different events because then you can see like where your fitness aligns. Um, You know, a lot of times we only get so many shots at the marathon, right? So it's kind of hard to know like what kind of shape you're in and what your potential is there. Um, but also having a coach is good for that reason to help you develop that pacing plan. You know, and we're always looking at like their training leading up to, uh, that race. And then also like, what is your racing history say? Mm. So I always ask athletes about like, you know, when you ran your PR, can you tell me about that race or, yeah. uh, do you know your splits for that race? Or I'll go and I'll try to find it. So, 
you know, that I think that that's important too, is to think about your tendencies as an athlete. And like you said, kind of that open, that openness, that willingness to, um, you know, try out a more conservative approach. Right. Yeah. Racing history is huge. And that's why we kind of look at all those factors, like as a coach, um, We'll kind of ask like what are your tendencies and just asking about what are some of the negative experiences you've had on race day what are the positive ones and that can really like decode a lot of um where we can go in the future right so if you're someone that struggles with pacing there's definitely a lot of things you can do within a training plan to really work on that we talked about progression runs you can do like progressive mile repeats um, there's a lot of other ways that we can work on pacing and train your body to run faster as the run gets longer um, and doing some of those races as we said where your goal isn't to pr but to run negative splits there's so many benefits to doing workouts where you're practicing your pacing because pacing at the end of the day is one of the key elements to reaching your potential in the sport of running. So if you're ever interested in working with a coach and trying to like uncode, maybe this is something that you've struggled with in the past and you really want to like break through out of this habit or Maybe you just want to learn more about coaching. We'd love to chat more with you and get you set up with a free seven-day trial. If you fill out the form on our website, www.runforprs.com, we can get you set up with a free seven-day trial working with a coach. Again, that's www.runforprs.com, and we can get you set up with a free seven-day trial. So thanks for tuning in.